Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. I am Kevin McDonald, your host and executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. And today is Friday, June 12th, 2021. And we have quite the grab bag of topics for you in this episode, all of them taken up by our line opinion panel. Uh, all regulars with us this week. It's been a while since we've had that. But Sophie Martin, an attorney, as well as Laura Sanchez, also an attorney. And rounding out the table, Diane Snyder, former state senator. Again, we threw a whole lot of different stuff at them this week. But first off this week is reaction to the New Mexico Supreme Court, who issued a decision, unanimous in fact, this week in the latest sort of questioning of the governor's abilities and authority with her public health orders during the COVID-19 pandemic. There have been roughly 20 lawsuits filed in the last several months that basically equated the restrictions in terms of hours of operations and capacity to a government taking. And those businesses that filed those lawsuits feel as though they need to be compensated by the state for lost revenues during that. But as we mentioned in a unanimous decision, the Supreme Court of New Mexico ruled that the governor is in her authority to do that when she is focused on public health and saving lives in the middle of the pandemic. So the lawyer behind many of those lawsuits uh, has vowed to take that to the Supreme Court. You'll hear in the discussion here that's really not up to him, but this may be something that does end up in the uh, highest court in the land at some point because other states are dealing with similar situations as well. So with that set up, let's head straight over to host Gene Grant and the aforementioned line opinion panel, hear what they have to say about it all. It was five months ago the Supreme Court justices heard oral, oral arguments about whether or not the state should pay back businesses back for some of the financial sacrifices made due to Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham's public health order. There were roughly 20 lawsuits filed statewide by businesses asking for compensation, but the Supreme Court was in complete agreement that the public health order was an appropriate response to a pandemic outbreak and one that needed no compensation paid to affected businesses. Here with us to discuss it all are this week's line opinion panelists, starting with regular and attorney Sophie Martin, also a line regular and also an attorney. We welcome back Laura Sanchez and rounding out our Zoom roundtable is former state senator and line regular Diane Snyder. And so the underlying court question I want to start here was whether or not the, tr the restrictions placed on those businesses, things like capacity limits or reduced hours of operations, was that equivalent to a government taking? You know, why was this a legal argument in the first place? Well, you know, I think that there has been, and, and let me point out, there have been three cases that sort of circle around this issue of can the governor do the things that she has done mm -hmm. during the pandemic? You know, three cases in the court itself mentions that in its ruling. This is so this is the third The the issue here. Uh, I think is that they're trying to find a way in. They're trying different theories. Mm -hmm. And at least at this point, they keep getting knocked down. You know, the the court, the, the really the threshold question here for the court was um, reasonableness. Are mm. the are the measures that are taken by the governor 
reasonable mm -hmm. in the context of the global pandemic. And that's actually a pretty low bar. What the court in its analysis is just looking for, was this arbitrary? Was this capricious? Was this, you know, like no relationship or, or just a spurious relationship to the pandemic itself? That's pretty, it's proving to be pretty hard for plaintiffs to overcome that particular question. Once the court determines, no, like this makes this makes a kind of sense and it doesn't have to be like perfect. Mm -hmm. um, you just don't really get to go much further. And that's what's happened to the in these cases, these 20 cases. Yeah. You know, Laura, interestingly, there's a quote here that the court found the broader interpretation favored by the business owners who filed quote, would lead to an absurdity, unlimited liability authorized by the legislature. I thought that was kind of interesting. But, you know, these, did these folks not have a legitimate gripe at some level? I know they tried in the lower courts and the governor wanted the Supreme Court to just kind of figure this all out. But I kind of take it from their point of view. What was the argument here? So there's a law that was enacted in 2003 that mm -hmm. permits compensation, and I'm going to mess up what the name of it is, but it's like a Public Health Emergency Recovery Act or something like that. I think that. you got it. Yep. Oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh response. Uh, that's right. Our <laughs> response. That's it. Almost. <laughs> anyway, right, right. So, uh, and it allows compensation to certain medical establishments, um, buildings, for example, right. in the course of a public emergency. And the intent of that legislat legislation, I believe, um, the senator might have been a senator then, even in 2003, or, or maybe very soon after. Mm -hmm. um, but in any event, uh, the whole point of that, the purpose was to compensate um, any kind of buildings that w had been commandeered, let's say, let's use the term commandeered, by the state. So had used the state under its what's called police powers, and these are all constitutional questions for anyone who's a budding lawyer or a current law student, you'll love this because you'll get this. But police powers, um, basically the state would use its powers um for the public Pardon. welfare mm -hmm. and they could take these buildings um temporarily is the idea but they would they would use them to deal with this um public health emergency or this emergency of some sort mm -hmm. and so what the businesses said was well because of the language in there that it says or or any or related property or i think it says or any other property they took that to mean any other business that had property should also be compensated and so that was one of the legal arguments they were using um, and, you know, of course, that was the part that the, that uh, Shannon, uh, Justice Bacon, um, mm -hmm. Shannon Bacon, in her opinion, had written. It's their opinion, of course, but she authored it. Sure. Um, was that that would lead to an absurdity. The idea that the legislature would have enacted something that said anybody can be compensated for any potential um, what would be a taking under that law, then the state would be on the hook for an unlimited amount. And so that was the absurdity they were talking about. Mm -hmm. Of course, the other part of that too was that, you know, in a basic takings um, argument, you're you're basically rooting that again constitutionally under the Fifth Amendment as it applies to the US, uh, US Constitution. And then it gets applied to the state through the uh, 14th Amendment of the, of the US Constitution. But the idea is that the state takes something without compensation, right? Right, takes private property um, without just compensation. And they're arguing that having shut everything down costs them economically. And I think most people would not would not argue that. I mean, yes, there's been definite impacts, but I think what the court has said, and um, I think they're they're correct and legally that they basically they're saying, well, but there was a higher reason, there was a bigger purpose, and that was the safety of of people in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Everyone, not just the businesses, business owners, employees, but just everybody publicly to be safe from. Um, this disease. Right, right. 
Uh, Senator, interestingly, the attorney representing a lot of those businesses are vowing to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, do you think it's inevitable? I mean, this question ends up there given, you know, there's other states going through the same thing. Are we going to be the bellwether kind of case here? I think it's entirely possible. Mm -hmm. I think there, for me, there are two things. Uh, I'm not an attorney. I can understand the logic and the things that, that the, our ladies have shared with us mm -hmm. and the things I've read. Mm -hmm. However, I look at the uh, federal funds, like the pay Paycheck Protection Program was a loan, but it was forgivable. So that means it was going to be a grant. And there are several others along that way that actually there is no re return. It's either a grant or a forgivable loan. So the feds have said these um, regulations do cost and therefore the businesses are entitled to some kind of compensation for them. At least that's how I see it. And then the second thing I, I hear from, I've heard so much here in New Mexico is the fact that complete and total discrimination in what is applied to some stores and what is not applied to others. And it's like mm -hmm. a perfect example, of course, and big argument is the big box stores uh -huh. were, were le allowed to be left open. Right. But I have friends that own this small business. They were flat out closed for three months. Mm -hmm. And then they were allowed to go out on the sidewalk when a customer came and showed the product then and sell. But it was a devastating, devastating uh, crash to their bottom line. Mm -hmm. So I see, I see that as, okay, if it's good for one, then it must be good for the other. And it's boils down then to me and many people in small business is the governor made those decisions acting on this as the state. And therefore they are entitled to compensation. And that's just looking at it from a different perspective, but they feel very much put upon and discriminated against. I haven't heard anyone argue mm -hmm. about um, the health issue of closing and reducing the interaction of gotcha. citizens. Gotcha. But on the other two points. Se Senator, let me let me slip in. I'm, I'm under a minute here uh, on this Lord, segment. Let me just uh -huh. get to Sophie real quick on something. Um, you know, the governor's office is maybe appropriately so making a case that they've rolled out lots of programs for lots of money for these businesses, and maybe that should be you know where we should be going. Are, are they covered because of that? Or here, I mean, there's money available. Sure that the two are really related, and mm -hmm. going and going to Diane's Diane's points, they may be related in our minds right. and in the and in the health of those businesses. Um, but the, this ruling really hinges on on issues of is this a taking? They're, they're finer legal points, um, and so so I think that that responding with look at all this money that we've provided, that's not the response you necessarily went on in the court, but it is, I think, an attempt to give a compelling response in the public. Mm, good point Can I there. just mention one quick thing? Real quick, sure. I know you're, you're under 10 seconds here, but mm -hmm. one thing about the appeal that uh, the attorney Blair Dunn keeps saying he's mm -hmm. gonna take to the Supreme Court, you can't just take something to the US Supreme Court. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, you can appeal something to the state Supreme Court and that's your appeal. That's mm -hmm. your one sort of appeal. When you apply to the Supreme Court, US Supreme Court, they have to issue a, a writ of sorciary. 
So basically they have to choose to take a case and they'll only do that if typically they will only do that when they have multiple cases from all other states, mm -hmm. uh, all other circuits really. Mm -hmm. And in some cases states coming up and there it's a huge national issue. Gotcha. It's just sort of a, an individual case somewhere. Um, they may not, they may choose not to take it or they may wait until other cases perhaps come up and then deal with it. That's so an important point. Yeah, it's important. I'm glad you got that in. That's an important point. I'll have to stop the clock there, I'm afraid. This group is back in a few minutes to talk about unidentified flying objects. They've been part of New Mexico's lore for decades, but a new Pentagon report says there's more the military can't explain than what it can. Before that, Laura Paskus and Arlen return after a quick break. We know our next topic will be a talker with you. It's a talker with a lot of folks online, social media especially. But later this month, the Pentagon is expected to release a new report outlining what they know about UFOs or what the military calls UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. We have gotten leaks of what's going to come out in that already. Looks like it won't be conclusive that the uh, military will say that they can't say anything they have found is proof of alien life, but also proof, not proof of there not being alien life. So inconclusive, but it's got a lot of folks talking. There's been a lot of footage released. There's been a lot of comments from Navy pilots, especially about the, these UAPs that they have no explanation for. Our very own Senator Martin Heinrich here in New Mexico was one of the people leading the charge for this report and the release of it and the discussion of that as in part a way to destigmatize the topic. And so we knew the line folks would have a lot to say on this, and they do for sure. So let's dive right into that, head back to the line opinion roundtable. The truth is out there, but the Pentagon says it's not keeping secrets that explain UFOs. A government report due out later this month will provide more information about these unidentified flying objects, known in the military, by the way, as Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, or UAPs. But according to many news reports, the Pentagon's account will largely be inconclusive. And Laura, just the idea that the government can't explain some of these UAPs, I mean, come on, doesn't that just fuel theories that <laughs> actually become <laughs> economic drivers? I mean, Roswell stands to gain at the end of the month. If I was them, I'd hold a big party when this thing gets released, but <laughs> this could be very interesting. What's your, what's your sense about how the Pentagon is handling this so far? Well, that is not a bad idea, actually. If, if, Den if Mayor Dennis Kintai is listening, that would be something to suggest, mm -hmm, right? To mm -hmm. get a bunch of people. But, you know, That's right. I go to Roswell fairly regularly. I know I've mentioned this before, but these days I go to Roswell a pretty regular amount, maybe a couple times a month. And I was just there last weekend, and there were a lot of people up and down the, the UFO museum, you know, Main Street, looking at all the UFO museum, the shops, yep. buying things. So it is definitely an economic driver, especially during the summer months, but which is crazy because it's like 108 down the pitter. Mm -hmm. um, but in any event, no, I think that what's interesting about the, you know, the idea that the government is basically uh, maybe saying in this report, it, it's anticipated they probably will deny any knowledge or they will once again say that it can't be confirmed, right? That mm -hmm. there's no evidence one way or the other. Well, that just sort of fuels the conspiracy. Right. That's the thing about conspiracies <laughs> is they always, you know, they can always be explained by another conspiracy. Um, but, you know, personally, I, I'm a huge fan of sci-fi. And I um, I wanted to point out, in case people don't see that, back there, I'm going to see if I can, uh-oh, I can't, there it is. There it is. There's my, uh, 
Oh, well, you can't see it that well, but the, there's my Star Trek, um, George Takei signed, um, you know. <laughs> I'm jealous. Uh, sure of george takei that i got at a star trek convention so i was uh, one one of my first um but i'm a huge sci-fi fan and i was a huge x-files fan so this feels right into all of that and i think that you know those images from the pilots are really interesting yeah when you see those um, reports and their you know their real-time um reactions to those it's very interesting and so i mean they are they are exactly that they're unexplained you know, unidentified flying objects or UAPs, that's what they are. Mm -hmm. Senator, Senator, interesting when you think about, you know, no one would ever question a Navy commander or a Navy pilot, you know, but there's lots and lots of these sightings from these Navy folks. Laura just referenced that 60 Minutes uh, interview from just a couple of weeks ago that kind of woke up the country to what's going. We got pilots saying they see these things all day, every day. And my question is, all right, if they're not extraterrestrials, where are these things coming from? Why does this always seem to be seen in, in restricted airspace? Have you noticed that? I mean, something's going on here. What do you, what's your sense of, as a security issue, being very serious here, should we be yeah. concerned here? I think we certainly, to a degree, certainly should be concerned mm -hmm. because we obviously are uh, less supportive countries in the world are not going to tell us when they create something that could do that, mm -hmm. that come in and spy on us. And the cons that's the conspiracy I immediately see, is it's all those bad guys building these machines and these radar things, and they're coming in, and mm -hmm. they're going to pick us up and take us away. <laughs> I'm not real sure that I'm ready yet to believe that it's alien into humans or alien beings mm -hmm. that's going to come in and take us all off to Mars or wherever for a, a, a sauna or vacation. I think that I think there is an explanation, a scientific explanation of it. Uh, whether we know it, whether the army knows that or not, is still suspect in my mind. Mm -hmm. I strongly believe that they know a lot more than they're willing to tell us. I think what I've seen so far on, on CBS and, and read, I'm amazed that the Army has been this open about some of the things I've seen. But one just little quick thing that I thought was absolutely hysterical is one of the sightings, there was a whole group of these unidentified flying phenomenon, mm -hmm. and suddenly two of them started fighting with each other right and i'm just going what so so if they're out there to come and get us or to do damage to us or spy on us mm -hmm. what the were those two doing playing it it was they said it was like a dog fight that's wow. how you tell it was military it looked like a dog fight going on between them and so i'm going not so sure this is on the up and up that somebody someplace is having a wonderful time. Well, you got, you got to, you have to think, you know, they, they've declassified those three videos that we've all seen now all over the news. Right. There's a bunch more because again, as a reminder, these are not folks' cell phone cameras. These are from fighter jets. They're cameras right. fighting, you know, at these things. <laughs> Sophie, I got to get Martin Heinrich in here, our senator. Um, he has been <laughs> quoted now saying, uh, taking the data and the, we've seen and the videos we've seen in 
their testimony seriously is the right thing to do? Is that the right place to start, just to take this seriously? Uh, that's, not a, that's not an out there response. I think I that's a, think. a pretty measured response. Right. He's not, you know, wrapping his own head in tinfoil, and he's also not poo-pooing it. He's, mm -hmm. He is looking for, you know, like, let's get, let's get the facts out on the table. Um, you, you know, at the risk of being a little bit of a wet blanket, I actually, I actually really appreciated David Axe on the Daily Beast. Um, his discussion of this issue was like, you know, let's think about this for a moment. Are aliens that interested in our aircraft um, that they're going to put all of all of that resource into the aircraft after they've traveled right. however many miles, <laughs> or just going to focus on those? Um, who's really interested in our aircraft? And mm -hmm. to Diane's point. Um, that would be folks who, uh, you put it nicely, I can't remember, but, but you know, our adversaries in the global, That's in, right. the, in the global space. And so, um, you know, we, I think part of what makes this strange for people difficult to wrap their minds around, including it sounds like for some members of the military, is that they seem, these, these crafts seem to behave in ways um, that, that don't really fit into easy explanations. So is it possible that an adversary has come up with a new technology and didn't mm -hmm. share it with us? Mm -hmm. um, that uh, that remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. So it, can I just please? jump in real quick and play yeah, yeah. devil's advocate? So, um, I mean, I think that sometimes people, when they think of other beings outside of this earth and our concept of it, we think of them as omnipotent, right? All knowing, yeah. they're going to know everything. I think that they, they are probably more advanced than us, but I think it's totally possible that there could be a reconnaissance um team that gets sent down to investigate what we're about i mean we have archaeologists that go back and look at primitive cultures right mm -hmm. i mean this idea of, of the tools that they use and the things that they were looking at we have entire fields dedicated to this people working on their phds all to kind of look at a primitive culture a different you know way of doing things that isn't as advanced as maybe we think of now mm -hmm. i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that that would be the case i think that in my mind and you know people are going to think i'm a kook and that's fine but in my mind, I think it's it's probably just as likely, if not more likely, that that would be going on than that the Chinese or, or Russians or anybody else would be that far advanced than us. I mean, because I just don't think that, you know, given just, I mean, there's a lot of hackers out there, but I don't know that right. they're actually coming together for state-sponsored programs that go to that level. It'd be a heck they're of a hack, that's for sure. Know, Bitcoin and taking our information. That's right. Mayor, Kin Mayor Kintai, you have your orders from Laura Sanchez. I was in Ross. And by the way, I do think that Senator Heinrich is smart in saying this about about you know the UFO investigation because he is going to be running for statewide election here pretty soon. So <laughs> why not support? It's an important issue. Yes. I, I was in Roswell this past weekend, and I'm telling you, oh, that's, right. that's right. They're poised to have a big one if they do it right. Mayor, we're watching you. I have to wait and see what exactly is in that report, unfortunately. Until then, we'll all just have to keep our eyes and minds open, I guess. When we come back to the line, we jump into another unexplained phenomenon, redistricting. We'll round out our conversation with the line opinion, opinion panelists, well, almost anyway, with another big topic. We have been following this throughout the year. Last legislative session, lawmakers approved a new redistricting committee, which is designed to impartially and without political influence redraw political boundaries for elections. This is all based on upcoming census data, which will be released out of the 2020 census. 
And again, the whole movement behind this redistricting committee was to bring more diversity of input into the process and more transparency, bring public input into it, and try to keep the political influences out of it. If the release of the people who will be on that committee is indication, though we may be in for a, a long haul, there are several positions that have been assigned by the State Ethics Commission. Those have to be non-declared with a political party, and we know that that will include retired Supreme Court Justice Edward Chavez. We also know we'll have the state demographer in there, Robert Radigan. Not too much complain about any of that. From there, you have leadership in both the Senate and the House that are appointing the rest, and it is a lot of political names that people know, including former Senate Majority Leader Michael Sanchez, also a former Deputy Director under Susana Martinez, Ryan Cangelosi. Another thing that sticks out, no Native American representation on the group. That was something that supporters of the redistrict committee really pointed out, really wanted to see happen. Also, it's almost exclusively in the Albuquerque metro area, so we don't have a lot of rural representation on the redistricting committee. So there's been a lot of talk about that this week, and the line panel picks that conversation up right now. Here's host Gene Grant. New Mexico's first ever redistricting committee is now set, but the questions about representation and influence when redrawing political boundaries are far from over. The seven-member body is appointed by the legislative leadership as well as the State Ethics Commission. Heading up the committee is retired Supreme Court Justice Edward Chavez, who also served on last year's redistricting task force, you might recall. The rest of the group is mostly male, former state lawmakers, or political insiders, and almost entirely from Albuquerque to boot. Now, Laura, is this what folks had in mind when they pushed for this new redistricting reform? I don't, I don't think that that's probably what the yeah. vast majority of legislators thought mm -hmm. um, would happen. I mean, we have a very, very strong rural constituency, obviously, in New Mexico for good reason. Um, and I don't think that people expected that this would be solely coming out of Albuquerque. But of course, to a certain extent, it's a self-selection issue, right? People could have submitted their information um, and asked to be on this. So um, Maybe it should have been advertised more widely or in other kind of, um, you know, I don't know how they advertised it to begin with, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, that's a real issue. And and I, I don't think it's very diverse and I don't think it's good to not have more women on there. I mean, right. we need to have parity on that front. Mm -hmm. uh, Senator, you know, should we be surprised politicos picking other politicos to be on this <laughs> committee? I mean, it, it's giving a little bit of heartburn for some folks out there. Well, truthfully, it makes me think they weren't listening in committee during the session mm -hmm. when the people were advocates were testifying for this. I, I have to tell you, I, I am totally surprised in the legislative uh, appointments, at least the vast majority, because the whole purpose of it was to get it, uh, having a committee was to get it out of political hands. And it is not that you don't want maybe one or two from for some institutional knowledge, but to put in that many of the committee. And then secondly, mm -hmm. no Native Americans on it. Right. I mean, really? I know. What were you thinking about? And then thirdly, the ladies have mentioned one woman. I mean, come on, folks. We're trying to represent New Mexico 
and get some fair and equitable redistricting. And I feel like I can speak just a little bit. Mm -hmm. In two, 2001, I was in first year in the Senate. I was part of the redistricting committee. Mm. Of course, we had 9-11, so it kind of changed the whole scope of things. And then the second time around in 2012, it was my district that had was part of the big legal case mm -hmm. because it was they literally went around like this down across here and down here and put my precinct just my precinct into senator jerry artizi pino's district and certainly nothing in common i mean anyway it went to court and that was one of the things that the ju judge's final questions was one is, it, is everybody in agreement on this compromise? And two, is Senator Snyder back in her district? <laughs> because it was such a blatant gerrymandering, mm -hmm. and that was being done by legislators. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, I, I know and I understand the feeling of self-protection, but when you are elected and you've gone to all that effort and energy to get elected, but you're representing the people of New Mexico. And we haven't been, in my mind, we haven't been clearly doing that for many years. Mm -hmm. So to put in a political persuasion, an overwhelming political persuasion, different opinions, but persuasion on this committee is just absolutely ridiculous and certainly doesn't meet what my expectation was mm -hmm. of having an independent commission. Fair enough. Sophie, interesting uh, point here in one of the news articles that the, um, you know, the idea that maybe these folks may not have known who the others were choosing. Do you get There's what I mean here? Prisoner's dilemma there, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Prisoner's dilemma, I love it. <laughs> Can we then <laughs> back up point. and redo this? I mean, as Senator just pointed out and Laura before her, I, I just don't know how credible these, and I hate, I'm being very careful with that word, but when push yeah. comes to shove, folks are going to have a bit of a heartburn with this. Should we back up and start over? Well, I don't, I don't know that you can. Yeah. I mean, that, that, so that's the start. You know, the, here's the thing, though. The way that this commission was built, they made the cultural diversity, the geographical diversity aspirational. That's right. They didn't make them a requirement. Thank yeah. you. And right. so, you know, why wouldn't they say, you know, rural representation mandated and how, whatever that would look like, you know, however they would do that. Mm -hmm. They chose not to. But but I think that, Gene, that that's a really important point. If you're not sure, if you're a Democrat or Republican you're and you get to a point, you're not sure what the other party is going to do, you're probably going to lay out your strongest, most, you know, impactful person, people for the committee. I think it's worth noting that the two individuals who are um, not appointed by the parties um, seem like really strong, uh, they're going to be strong participants. They seem like good choices. Mm -hmm. I do believe that Justice Chavez, who I've worked with in the past, I do believe that he will um, work hard to ensure that there's... Um, you know that this that this committee does the work it's supposed to do and does it with as close to an even hand as as is possible given the the members of the committee but um but the, like let's face it that's not what the the legislature mm -hmm. the government built yeah. mm -hmm. when they built this so do they need to come back and reassess maybe but yeah. it won't it won't affect this round laura l l let me ask you this then you know in the past as senator mentioned just a minute ago 
you know, other redistricting fights, oh, they ended up in court. Are we, are we just going to end up in court anyway here about these boundaries? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's the problem. And I think, I think uh, Sophie makes a very good point. Mm -hmm. When it, it, these, these rural representation, the diversity in terms of um, Native American presence, more women, these things should have been required. They should have been right. built into the concept of the committee itself mm -hmm. and not just aspirational, as Sophie said, because you end up with people who are self-serving. These are, mm -hmm. if you look at the four people who were appointed by sitting legislators, every one of them represents their interests, right? That's not right. just them, but their party's interests. That's right. And I happen to know all four of those people, you know, fairly well, you know, Senator Michael Sanchez, Senator Lisa Curtis, um, you know, both of them former senators, but of course you have mm -hmm. to use their title as I do with Senator Snyder. Um, and then of course, uh, you know, I, Ryan Kangli, Ken I can never say we're, we're super tight. We're, su we're super tight on time, guys. I, re I realize your point. Here's what Sorry. we're going to do. On our website, we're going to have a list of those folks that Laura was just starting to mention because the committee itself, the makeup is something to consider. And that redistricting committee will be holding numerous public hearings on the process over the summer and fall. So be sure to follow us on Facebook for updates and coverage of those hearings. This is an issue we plan to continue following closely right here on this show as part of our Your New Mexico Government Project. We always like to bring you some extra content. We're going to do that again this week. By now, you probably know if you follow the show that we warm up for each week's taping by going live on Facebook, Facebook with a warm-up session one more thing we call it where all the panelists come to the table with something that from the headlines or from their lives that they want to bring to the attention of the group uh, that we just don't have time for in the show. And there's a lot of great stuff in this conversation, uh, including a word you probably got through the news this week about the lottery scholarship here in New Mexico is now going to cover tuition in full this year. So that's a great thing for college students here in New Mexico. Also going to have some uh, a surprise appearance in here. Don't want to let the cat out of the bag there. Tongue in cheek. You'll see what I mean here in a minute. Hear it. But uh, let's jump right into that conversation to kick things uh, or bring things to a close this week. Back to the Line Opinion Roundtable. Let me start with Sophie Martin. Sophie, what are you thinking about? What's your one more thing this week? I was, I was pleased to see some movement happening on the state's initiative to expand internet access, high-speed internet access through rural parts of the state. Mm -hmm. um, the legislature and the governor had approved 133 million in spending to do to work on that project for the coming fiscal year, which starts in July. And they're working on hiring a sort of a champion, a czar perhaps to work on that. This is a long time coming, this, this project. And sure, I think there were probably technical issues, technological issues that, mm -hmm stood in the way when, you know, when New Mexico leaders 20 years ago were talking about trying to do something like this. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's important and uh, encouraging to see some process, some progress, pardon me, is being made. Mm -hmm. I got a question, sort of a joke, but sort of not. There always has to be a czar before it's real, oh, doesn't there? of course. It's good <laughs> to be czar, that? right? Isn't right. that an expression? Exactly. I'm sure it's very hard to be czar. You're, you're quite right, though. On, on a serious note, you're quite right. And 20, 25 years ago, folks had the state mapped. They knew where all the, you know, the log jams were, all that kind of thing. But the technology was not quite was there not yet ready. to make those leaps. And I think we're at that yeah. place. Whether we're ready to pay for it, that's your point. 133 million is well, probably just a start. Well, they're talking about there might be a surplus coming. Ah. So... I mean, we'll see what the legislature does with that. But that's right. That's right. Yeah. 
Good points there. Excellent points. Senator Diane Snyder, always good to see you. What's your one more thing this week? Um, I'm going to talk about, it kind of follows along those lines of, of helping in uh, our uh, New Mexico, New Mexicans. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about the lottery scholarship for just a second. One of the things that's exciting to me is for this school term, 21-22, is it's going to be, tuition is going to be fully funded, Mm -hmm. which it hasn't been since 2015. As you remember, when the scholarship was first put in place back in the late 90s, it was meant to be a full tuition scholarship. Mm -hmm. And it was for any New Mexican going to a public or Native, uh, Native uh, American school, mm-hmm. or university, pardon me, and so our, our college. And that was the whole intent. And then along the way, it was dropped to 60% or 75%. And one of the things that happened is some of the funding, the uh, liquor excise tax, that a special thing that had been going into the lottery scholarship fund ended. Mm-hmm. It had a sunset clause on it, so it ended. So that left them a little bit in the hole, and then we had some tough years financially. But this year, it's fully funded. They are still talking about uh, how they're going to fund it next year. So, Sophie, maybe they can use that money. To <laughs> talk about the, money. Yeah. Yeah. the other thing I want to mention is it's not there is a program for uh, returning students, older students, or those who are attending part-time, and it's called the New Mexico opportunity scholarship it does the same kind of thing pays tuition now these don't pay lodging or books or any of those kinds of things but it does pay for the tuition and you know and as tuitions continue to go up that's a big that's a big Mm market so the thing is you need to get going this is already june guys so um, go to the new mexico higher education department and that's H-E-D is how it's listed, at state, at, uh, dot, at state dot U, I'm sorry, dot N-M-M. N-M dot U-S. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just go to the New Mexico Higher Education Department and you'll find guidelines because you have to get it actually from the institution that you're attending. I see. But get to work on it right now. There's going to be a lot more money available. You know, that's an interesting situation you just described because I've had this conversation with lots of folks, Senator, that if we really wanted to get ourselves going, there are lots of folks here who are not traditional age students who would love to go back to school. They would love an opportunity to go to school in the first place, (laughs) let alone back to school. And you've got to imagine what what they do for our workforce. Didn't mean to cut you off there. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and I think that at-home COVID uh, vac- vacation that we've had <laughs> has led people back to seeing that there are opportunities. Yep. So don't think you can't go back. Yep. And maybe your kids, now you're an empty nester. Maybe you always wanted to be uh, in the health field. Well, apply. Mm-hmm. See if you can't get one of these opportunity scholarships because it's well worth the effort. All they can do is say no, and they might say yes and you're on the way to bigger and better things. A new life, that's right. I love that so much. Thank you for bringing that to the public's attention. It's important. Stuff that's out there to take advantage and move your life forward. I really appreciate that. Laura Sanchez, you see a lot of things out there. What's your one more thing this week? Well, my one more thing is a little bit more personal. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, I really feel like I've fulfilled my best life these days and uh, finally become a full cat lady. <laughs> I am big babies. No, I have four. I could only get these two from Mama because the other two were people. <laughs> They're adorable. So precious. Yes. So this is a, the animal shelter these days gives every, every little kitten or animal a fun name. So I got Lois as the mama. Uh-huh. And I got um, I got Peta, P-E-T-A-H, like Peter, but with an accent, Peta, uh, uh, Chris, and then this is, um, actually, this is Chris, Meg is feeding, and this is Stewie, this is a little runt, and they are just adorable, uh, I'm fostering them now, I've had them for about three weeks, they're about a month old, they will be ready to be adopted um, in about four weeks okay. after they've had shots Laura yes and uh, we have a happy little family and I finally found a use for that spare bedroom right. <laughs> that's so but they're cute. just adorable they are adorable they are there is there's a real need too because what yeah. they're finding is so many people got pets during the COVID vacation and now they're going back to work and or and they're going I can't take care of but them. cats are thrilled when you go back to work cats are like <laughs> see ya I, Right. If they're going to keep them, but they don't keep them, they give I, them yeah. back. It's an and issue. So cats are the perfect pandemic pet. Yeah. This yeah. one's very well, vocal, as you can hear. <laughs> I think the, the meowing is so adorable. It's so cute. Yeah. Yes. Good on you. You have a nice heart there, Laura Sanchez. You've oh, always been this way. Yes. <laughs> I love it. That's me. <laughs> so where, do, where does one go? Um, I think I know the answer, but I want here ask you to adopt to actually get in the game of adopting how does one step into the breach here well what you should really do is go online and check out the animal uh welfare department so mm -hmm. there's the albuquerque the city of albuquerque and you can you can get the information if you call 311 or if you just um go online and find the cabq.gov website you mm -hmm. can find animal welfare and they have pictures, really sweet pictures and backstories on every one of their pets. Aww. And you can do it that way. If you wanted to foster or volunteer um, at one of the shelters, then you can go onto the, um, also you can call 311 and ask them, or you can go and check out the uh, Albuquerque volunteer opportunities and oh. you can sign up that way. Okay. And so there's, uh, there's a lot of need out there. So there's always a place and um, you can go and check them out and adopt someone. Appreciate and I think they're waiving adoption fees right now. Oh, really? At least the city adoption. There's no more excuses. There's also Burnley County uh, Adoption Center. That's separate, but you can find that. And then, of course, there's Valencia County, Santa Fe County. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of animal need mm -hmm. out there. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that since our signal does go outside Burnley mm -hmm. County, that there's always somewhere to go for adoption, always in our state. Thank you for bringing this to our attention in such a <laughs> cute way. I think it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're already at work for another episode, which is made up of other segments from this week's on-air show, which you can see every Friday night at 7 on New Mexico PBS. That's channel 5.1 for most of you. Included in that is this month's Our Land, which focuses on forests in New Mexico, which are under siege from wildfires, climate change, you name it. And it's a timely time to do that because we're looking at the 10-year anniversary of the Los Conscious wildfire, which was so devastating here in New Mexico. It was the largest wildfire at the time in state history. 
and it has left lasting impacts we still see today. We're also going to take you to the Santa Fe Farmers Market and find out how our our local farmers have fared through the COVID-19 pandemic and actually how they found some innovation out of that. So a lot of great stuff to come in that episode. Be on the lookout for that. As always, we encourage you to go back and listen to past episodes and subscribe if you don't already. And be sure to follow us throughout the week on all of our social media platforms. There's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. We're in all those places. We'd love to hear what you have to say about the show, about any of the topics the line talked about this week. Are you eagerly anticipating that Pentagon report on unidentified aerial phenomena? We'd love to hear what you think about that or any of the other topics. So find us there, reach out to us, or you can always leave us a message here on the podcast as well. But until next time, stay safe and stay healthy. And thanks for listening.